0: Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest fertility podcast, brought to you by Repromed.
1: You're very welcome to Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest podcast that delves into all things fertility. Fertility Matters is brought to you by Repromed, the leading fertility and IVF clinic in Ireland. I'm Susan Keogh and today I'm joined by Claire Moran, Laboratory Manager at Repromed and also Hans Arstey, who is the Medical Director at Repromed. You're both very welcome along. Thank Thank you very
0: much, I'm very happy to. Claire.
1: we want to start today I guess with a bit of a 101 on fertility because I suppose for people who are embarking on this journey and for people who are maybe starting to consider a fertility journey, they often wonder what are the things that they need to consider here and I know there are a myriad of things that you know you need to take into consideration
0: but you might just tell us some of the things that you should consider. Okay, no problem at all. So it's often hard for couples to figure out exactly that out. You know, when should we start asking questions? When should we pick up the phone to a fertility clinic? But I suppose the main thing to remember is that about 85% of couples that are trying to conceive will conceive within a year. So most couples they will, but there will always be a small percentage of people that will need that extra little bit of help. So it's important that if you're under 35, for the female, we say, to try for about a year then if you're over 35 you should really be contacting a fertility clinic within six months you know if you're not getting pregnant.
1: So that age of 35 which we do hear an awful lot about but you know things really do plummet in terms of fertility after the 35 age mark so that is something i guess for people to have in their heads
0: it is that's just a general guidance Mm. it doesn't mean that on your 35th birthday suddenly your fertility is gone it just there's a gradual decline in egg quality for a female when she gets to 35 so during your 30s you know in your early 30s you'll have probably good egg quality unless there's some underlying you know problem or medical reason then, as you go through your 30s, the egg quality gradually declines. So, that is something people should be aware of.
1: And if somebody was aware of the fact that they may have an underlying issue, so somebody who may have some problems in the past, should they jump quicker or have it as a kind of
0: a, a, a point in their head that maybe 35 might be a little bit late for them if they know that they may have an issue? They should, absolutely. So, if there's any underlying medical reasons, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, if you have um, been diagnosed with endometriosis, anything like that, or if you have, haven't got regular periods then you should be flagging, you know, flagging that up earlier and going to a fertility clinic sooner rather than later. Hans, let me bring you
1: in there as I say. Hans Arce, you're the medical director at ReproMed. I suppose uh, in 2020 in Ireland, we know that we are a country where we are putting off having children to a much later stage and that is for many reasons societal and uh, you know but the scientific evidence is there that it is harder I guess the older people do get. Is that a consideration for you guys? Have you seen that coming through your doors that maybe some of the people that you're seeing it's because they put it on the long finger?
2: Absolutely it's probably number one reason nowadays. Um, Look (coughs) Susan when Humans were created by nature. We were created to live for 30 to 35 years. Uh, That is essentially why there's fertility clinics opening all over the world. We're delaying the first child to those ages. So our fertility does drop with age. Okay. And the reason for that is, as Claire said, there's a drop in the egg quality. That drop starts at the age of 30 more or less, then drops a little faster after 35. I don't like to use the word plummet but it really drops a lot faster after 38. So that is essentially why in our clinic right now, more or less our average age of patient is 37, which is in eggs age, a little older than nature meant us.
1: Would you recommend that people have that information (coughs) in terms of how old their eggs are? Because as we know, sometimes somebody's eggs aren't the same age as their age. So somebody may have Eggs that are younger than their 36 years? Always the same
2: age. Always the same age. And it's the age that you have in your passport. Now, the quality of the eggs can be better Mm. or worse. Sadly, there is no test for that. The only tests that we have is to determine how many eggs we have left, it's the ovarian reserve. And the age will help me assess what, on average, should be your egg quality. Are there women with worse egg quality or better? Yes, there is. Everything in medicine is an average, okay. and we will not know the egg quality until we try to form embryos with your eggs
1: yeah it's all a learning process it is, it really is. yeah um, Claire let me come back to you when we talk there about people you know holding off until they're a little bit older but in terms of whatever age you are when you decide to embark on this journey talk to me a little bit about lifestyle choices things that you'll hear people talk about a lot like smoking and drinking and being generally fit and I suppose it's a tough journey as well so being fit physically and also being fit mentally
0: Exactly. I think we all know that, you know, we should eat nor, you know, eat well, no drinking, no smoking if you're trying to conceive. But that's often very difficult, you know, to say, right, no alcohol, no smoking. And to be fair, everything in moderation is what you should be looking at. Um, but, you know, it is well published that smoking, um, excessive alcohol, being overweight, they all affect egg quality. And also on the male side, they certainly affect male fertility levels. And we have seen that, you know, that right now male fertility levels are declining all over the globe because of you know our current lifestyle levels and um, it's just it's a factor that is coming into play but again as I would say to people not to take drastic measures but just to take a look at your lifestyle and maybe you know cut out that extra drink on the weekdays or you know just to take everything in moderation and it will all help and you know to take your supplements make sure that you're healthy and well going into a fertility journey and especially if you're you know, if you're going into a pregnancy, you need to be healthy yeah, and well to support us. That's what you hope yeah. comes at the end exactly. of your fertility journey. Let's talk about first
1: port of call then. So if somebody is listening to this today or watching this and they know that within the next couple of months they're going to be embarking, you know, on this journey, what, and, and maybe they might be a bit apprehensive, what can they expect from the time somebody might pick up the phone or log on to RepoMed's website and they touch base with you guys,
0: talk us through the initial steps maybe. As Han said earlier, there is a basic fertility blood test that we do for the female, so it's an AMH test, so that will tell you, you know, about your egg reserve. For the men, it's often the most embarrassing for them to pick up the phone and arrange a semen analysis, but that is the ultimate test to see you know, the male's fertility status. And at Repromed, we have made that so much more easier to access. We have an online booking now as well, so that, you know, you don't have to pick up that phone and ask somebody to book a semen mm. analysis for you. You can, you know, just book online and it's all very, very simple and straightforward when you come into the clinic. And, you know, it's, it's those two tests really that you need to have performed at the start. And they're a great marker then for, you know, future tests that maybe you don't need any more tests. Maybe they'll come back normal. But if anything flags up on those two tests, then we can take it a step further and
1: go from there. So Hans, would the next step after that then be the potential of trying an IUI? Is that, is that usually where, where mm. we start?
2: IUI definitely is the starting point, but it's not the best treatment for everyone. There are people that should go directly for IVF, for example, if their fallopian tubes are blocked. For example, if they're older than 38 and they have been trying for over a year, then IUI's inseminations, I'm sorry, do not um, have the best of success rates and we would move uh, directly to IVF. It really does depend on the clinical scenario on the patient and to some extent the country you're in. Because, for example, in countries where the government pays for treatment, In couples with infertility, they do not do inseminations anymore. They go directly to IVF because they have seen that in a population, it's cheaper to go directly to IVF than to start. So better value
1: for money. Exactly, because it's the country that Mm. pays.
2: But in countries where the patient pays, that's a very different thing. Because if a patient gets pregnant through inseminations, it's going to be cheaper for them.
1: Yes, unless they have to do three or four, I
2: guess. Unless their prognosis is poor, where Mm -hmm. I'm expecting that they're probably not going to work, then I do say let's go directly for IVF.
1: So this is something that you chat through with people. You take the information that you've gotten from the ovarian reserve. You'll take the sperm analysis. You take into consideration the age of the couple.
2: And the patient's preference, Susan, because we're moving away from this paternalistic approach of doctors where I know best and I tell you what to do to, hey, there's this broad group of options, what suits you best clinically, but also personally. If somebody's terrified of needles and they don't want a needle in their ovary, maybe it will be a good idea to try a few rounds of inseminations before if it doesn't work, then we will do that, you know?
1: Um, Claire, talk to me a little bit about medication because this will be something that people will consider as well. You mentioned their hands, people who possibly are afraid of needles, and there could be people listening or watching who think I could never do that because I am afraid of needles, or you know, I just wouldn't be able to deal with the medication. You might give us a brief overview, and I know it's very, very different for each treatment, but give us an idea of what somebody might should expect if they are going down a journey, let's say of IVF.
0: Okay, so the main purpose. Of IVF is controlled ovarian stimulation so that's the reason why you're taking the medication so the medication we give to you is the exact same hormones that you produce naturally so it's mostly follicle stimulating hormone so you produce that in your body every month to produce that one egg that you'd naturally ovulate but we want to get more eggs so we want to keep a lot of those follicles that are developing in your ovary and just push them along more gently so to do that you need to take an additional dose so that's what you take every day Um, and we will scan you and monitor your ovaries. And most people are terrified that oh my gosh, there's going to be needles, it's going to be mm. awful. But these are designed to be self-administered. So in the same way as you know insulin pens and things like that are all designed for the patient, so are the IVF medications. So they're and very. And do you simple. talk people through that, or can they?
1: You know, there's somebody that can you know do a demonstration with somebody Absolutely. before they're sent home with their going left or whatever it is. <laughs> exactly.
0: They're yeah, So our nursing team will go through that with with you. We also have online videos that you can watch at home and just be sure that you are you know confident in what you have to do to take it. And again if somebody's at home some night and they're
1: trying to administer a certain medication is there somebody who's on call that that, that if they come into trouble
0: that they would be able to make contact with somebody? We have our online videos Mm. and demonstrations and as I said we go through it with the patient as well before that night happens and in general um, everything is fine you know they're very very simple to administer.
2: Patients will be seen throughout the days of the stimulation process, and any doubt will be will be resolved by the nurses. So we haven't really had any patient calling us or looking for this mm, information yeah. outside you mentioned of working hours.
1: They're about been seen a lot, and that is again something that people should consider. You know, it is very yeah. much a process where you have a lot of contact with your fertility clinic. You 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 guys want to keep you know, um, track of what's happening obviously, you know, for, for medical reasons, but I guess these patients are in your care. So there is a lot of appointments and there's a lot of scanning and there's a lot of sort of, I guess, commitments for somebody. And that's something that people should take into consideration as well if they're embarking on a journey in terms of when might be best for them to do it or how could they forward plan that. Yeah,
2: There is, but there isn't as much as people think either. Okay, from the moment that IVF starts until the day of the embryo transfers, it's five appointments. Okay. So it's, I also don't want patients, a lot of patients think that they need to take a month off from work. And no, these treatments are perfectly compatible with work. They will only have one day to miss from work, which is a day of the collection. But the rest of the treatment, they can have absolutely normal life. The appointments are very early in the morning, so they don't even have to miss work. They can be just half an hour late. And throughout the whole treatment, we have an IT program, our, our computer program, that will have uh, let the patients have a portal that tells them exactly at what time they have to administer that medication, what dosage, where, when. So all the instructions are are live for the patients at every moment.
1: Um, Claire, in the past, we we would have been dealing with strictly heterosexual couples, I guess, when when it came to uh, fertility treatment. That's changed hugely now. So at Repromed, I guess you're seeing uh, you know all sorts of different couple makeups.
0: I mean, we've always treated single women and same-sex couples as well. So same-sex female couples, and there's a huge increase in single women, in particular, having treatment on their own. You know, they haven't met the right man at you know 39 or 40, and they're going to go the journey alone. So let's get into that round that of donor mm-hmm. egg
1: and donor sperm. So in that example that you <clears> use there, we're talking about a single woman who wants to have a
0: baby and you provide a facility whereby that woman can access donor sperm. Absolutely. And today, this is such a straightforward process. I mean, there's nothing that's apprehensive, to be apprehensive about at all. We get all our sperm from Denmark. There's two huge um, sperm banks in Denmark and we get all of our samples from there. The, the patient is in full control of which donor she wants to select. So we leave that with you, you know, to select the characteristics and then it's ordered into Repromed. The whole thing is probably takes about two to three weeks between the time of choosing a donor, getting it ordered and getting it delivered. So it's, it's not an impediment treatment at all. It's very straightforward.
1: And once you get the donor sperm, then it works as a regular um, IVF
0: cycle from there on in? they all come frozen so you can do insemination with that usually that's our first line for single women or same-sex couples who we haven't identified any fertility factor really you know and um, they could be candidates for insemination so usually that's our first line with the, those people and then if you need to move down the route of IVF we can do that with the donor samples too so yeah. if you want to give yourself three chances you you get three you, you get three little we call them straws okay they come frozen in little straws so one straw per treatment so people normally order one two Two or three strolls depending on what their requirements are or of course if they want to have siblings in the future so if you get pregnant on your first stroll maybe you want to have another sibling so you can either reserve that at the sperm bank or you can get it ordered into Reformed, and we'll store it for you it's very very straightforward to access egg donors as well our program at repomed is based in the czech republic so you don't actually have to leave ireland at all we can freeze either your partner's sperm or we can arrange a sperm donor in the czech republic and we can create the embryos out there then they get frozen and sent back to dublin so we can again just you know you're on your fertility medications and we'll inform you when the embryos are back in ireland And then you can start on your medication treatment plan to have your frozen embryo transferred.
1: And at what point would you move to that stage? So if somebody comes into you and there's no massive signs that there's anything, any particular challenge, how many say normal, not to use the word normal, but regular with a woman's egg cycles of IVF would you do before you would start getting into the realm of talking about a donor egg?
0: normally it's about three treatment cycles so on the first treatment cycle we learn a lot about the eggs the embryos how they're developing you know there's signs there that we can maybe predict what the problem is then if if the patient doesn't get pregnant after that we go to the second treatment cycle we try and change a few things and really, it depends on what we see, in, particularly in the lab. We learn a lot about the gametes in the lab. And you know, we can predict, you know, is it the same thing going to happen again, even though we've tried two different treatment regimes, two different types of drugs. Maybe the same thing happened on both cycles. So in that case, we might just move on to donor. We never force anybody to do anything. So if somebody wants to do another treatment cycle, that's fine. We can do it. But maybe our recommendation is that you know, to achieve that higher chance of success, that you move on to donor.
1: Hans, the science of it really is incredible, isn't it? When, when you talk about what a learning curve it can be. Each, an IUI, an IVF gives you so much information, and I suppose information is power then to move to, to the next step.
2: The advantages of IVF, as Claire was saying, is that we get to see the egg. We get to see the sperm. We get to see if it fertilized, how it grew. The embryos so show signs. Do they look healthy? Do they look unhealthy? Does these unhealthy signs seem to come from the egg side, from the sperm side? So IVF is not just a therapeutical technique, it's also a diagnostic technique. And yes, there are certain signs that will push us directly for egg donation or we'll just say, let's try again.
1: And I guess, you know, a lot of these people, when they find themselves in front of you, they're in quite a vulnerable position, especially a couple maybe who have had two IVFs uh, that have failed. So, you know, they will, I guess, take their lead or take their advice from from your expertise. Um, I'm sure one of the questions that's very common, and Hans, you might take this for us, is statistics and success rates because I know probably when people start on this journey they would love somebody to take them into a room and tell them I can absolutely categorically give you that baby you want but of course it's not an exact science so I guess that has to be you know explained to people
2: there are many factors that can affect success rates the main one being female age okay so at the age of 30, for example, if I do an IVF, I can be talking about a 50, 60 percent success rate. But at 42, the average goes down to 10 percent, 15 percent at 44, less than five percent. So it really is a main factor, the egg the, egg, uh, the egg's age. Uh, sperm quality will definitely play a role. And then all the signs that Claire will see in the lab and that's the reason why lab and doctors should have an absolutely completely open door communication because I have two patients in front of me but the main patient is in her lab. Claire and I are constantly talking about the embryos of our patients to be able to help us out with with better decision taking. Now, I can have a 30 year old girl that gives me eggs and all the embryo quality is terrible. I cannot tell her she has a 50% success rate. That is the average in her particular case, might be five, might be zero. So it is a learning process.
1: Are most people very interested in the statistics or do they, they are, are they?
2: Look, it it really at the end is value for money. Mm. Uh, And then if I have a 43 year old girl that I'm offering her a 5%, 10% chance. And I tell her, but if we do a donation, I'm offering you a 60, 65% chance. Now, I cannot tell her to go for a donation. Who am I to tell her not to fight Mm. for 5%? This world is full of beautiful 5% stories. So I definitely tell her, look, this is 5%. This is 65%. They make that decision.
1: Claire, it must be hard to be so frank with people at times, because as I say there, you are seeing people when they're really, really vulnerable and and, and probably at at their lowest at times. but you can't lead them up the garden path either, so I guess that patient trust that they would have between people who work at Repromed and the
0: people who are sitting in front of you is really vital, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's critical that, you know, they have that trust in us and technology as well can help us a lot in this way. I mean, in the lab we use a lot of what we call time lapse technology, so we have little cameras inside the incubators now that we can take a photo of the embryo every five minutes and play that into a video. So if you're sitting in front of me as a patient, I can show you the, the embryos that you've had. I can show you the development, I can show you where it went wrong. So I find that helps a lot for people instead of me just telling you, oh, you know, we saw a problem on day three. You know, you can be quite skeptical to go, well, what was, what was it? it or was yeah. it? You know, whereas now I can pinpoint exactly where the problem was. And we can learn a lot more about embryos as well. Just with advances in technology, it really helps us. And it breaks that, or it, it creates, I suppose, that patient trust in us as well, that we're putting it in front of them, going, look, at this is what we found. And this is the reality. And it makes it more real as well, because sometimes I think, People don't know well. people don't know what happens inside the lab and they think it's just some magical thing that happens and there's no embryos or there are embryos at the end of it but they never see the in-between stages so now we can show them that so I think that's great as well and so if somebody <clears throat> excuse me gets a
1: call then on on day five or day three is it you that's talking to that yes, patient then is, yeah. so can those calls I guess can be quite challenging because maybe at that point you're giving the initial news I know you can explain things probably in in a more fulsome way when they're back in front of you, but I suppose you are making a call. These people are waiting on this call. They've been waiting for three days to hear I, I can imagine that that's kind of very, can be challenging. It can great be. You have great news. I know,
0: it's always great to have the good stories where you bring the patient and you've got, yeah, you've got great five embryos today, they're all top quality. Mm. I mean, there are best phone calls in the morning. But every morning we have bad phone calls, we have good phone calls. And it is quite challenging. And we like, we understand that people are upset, obviously, to get news that maybe they had five embryos two days ago and now they're down to one. And what do they do? Do they do a transfer? Do it? So everything is done in real time. And that's where I talk to Hans and we, you know, we discuss it with the patient. So I suppose I'll be the first port to call. I'll call the patient, inform them of the decision, and then maybe I'll go to Hans and we'll, we'll come together as a group and then ring the patient back again and decide actually what's best. You know, Do you want to transfer? We'll do it today. Or let's leave this embryo and see will it make it to day five. Because ultimately we want to transfer a good quality embryo. But if somebody doesn't have that, that's where the decisions and all those real-time decisions come into it. So ideally, it's best to wait for a five-day blast then.
1: Is that that the best-case scenario?
2: When you don't have enough to choose from, some studies are saying that maybe it's better to transfer on day three. But the idea of going to day five is to try to transfer one good quality embryo.
1: Okay. Another question, and I'll give this to you Hans, I guess people ask this all the time as well when it comes to IVF about, you know, the potential of multiple pregnancy and twins and, and triplets. What What is the protocol then at ReproMed in terms of transferring one or two embryos? The
2: recommendations of transferring one single embryo are not new. These are ten years old, okay, and everywhere in Europe it's been, we've been transferring single embryo. The idea that IVF is going to give you twins comes from the Aged idea that we had to transfer to embers to have better results. Now the problem with that is our human uterus is designed to hold one baby Mm -hmm. at a time. We are not rabbits. If you see the human uterus, it only has one room. So if you put two babies into one room, chances that this uterus will not be able to take a pregnancy for nine months is high. That's why prematurity and every complication in pregnancy. One of the main risk factors is twins. The rabbit's uterus has eight to 16 rooms. The rabbit's designed for that. So that is why we do need to avoid twins as much as we can. So the policy of transferring one embryo is to avoid these high-risk pregnancies. Twins can have up to 10 times higher chances Mm. of each of these babies having a problem for the rest of their lives. So this is the reason why we need to stop transferring two embryos to the point that when the Irish law of reproduction comes into place, it will be illegal to transfer two embryos. Yeah, so there's, there's no point it, in
1: putting two in and ending up with none that, today, be, as the result so is, of a risk. Today,
2: there is absolutely no reason to do that. Ten, ten years ago, our freezing techniques were not as good. And when I have two embryos, I don't know which one is really good and which mm. one is bad. I only know they're pretty, okay? And there's a 50% chance that each of these is good. I was terrified of transferring the bad one and freezing the good one, mm. in turn dropping your chances of having a child. So I took risks and we transferred two embryos. that was 10 years ago. Nowadays, Claire can freeze an embryo, thaw it, freeze it again, thaw it again. Some studies say even freeze it a third time and thaw it a third time, and that embryo will still enjoy as good pregnancy rates as a fresh one. So today there is absolutely no necessity to take risks. So, yes, the policy in Repromed is absolutely single embryo transfer. Single
1: embryo transfer. Claire, let me come back to you talking there about uh, freezing embryos and and, and that's your speciality or (laughs) something that you do a lot. Um, I think we're hearing a lot more now these days about freezing eggs and freezing embryos. Uh, We talked a little earlier about how, as a society, we are having children much later. Tell me a little bit about that job or a little bit about how science has come on so much in terms of what we can do or what can people expect? Like, how long can their embryos be on ice for? Is it better to freeze embryos than it is eggs?
0: I presume it is, is it? It is, in a way. Well, some studies would say it's the <coughs> same thing. So, the process of how we actually freeze the eggs and the embryos has changed so much in the last 10 years. So, now we freeze everything by a process called vitrification. So it's a very, very rapid freezing and a rapid warming again on the other side. So it happens so quickly that it does no damage to the embryos or the eggs. So nowadays about 95% of embryos will survive that freezing and thawing process, whereas even 5-10 years ago or you know, back in the early 2000s, you were lucky if 50-50 survived that because it was a slow cooling and a slow freezing process. So now that it's changed, we can rely on freezing and thawing a lot more. So in Repromed, I would say on average, people get about four embryos to freeze from each treatment cycle and maybe one to transfer as well. Sometimes we freeze everything because there are a lot of studies now showing that if you freeze everything from that treatment cycle and then go through a frozen embryo transfer cycle, that the uterus is much more inclined to be receptive to that embryo. So there's no time limit on when embryos need to be taken out of storage or how long, same with eggs, they can stay there indefinitely. So whenever you yeah, need to use them. Yeah, the science of
1: it, it, it's incredible to think. Um, we're almost out of time, but Hans, um, I guess what's coming across to me, and I think what probably is really important to people listening or watching today is, that nobody wants to do this journey on their uh, on their own. They want to know that there is that back and forth with whoever is taking the lead on it. So if somebody decides to jump into what is a scary and can be an emotional journey, <coughs> that they have someone always that will lead them along the way, answer their questions, be upfront with them, be yes. straight with <coughs> them, people that they can trust. And I guess that is very much a, a priority at ReproMed.
2: It is, it is, and I, I think our medical team and, and the lab also, we stress out, how little influence patients have on their treatments. There's this guilt-driven no. uh, 100 indications that patients will receive either from Google or from friends. Most of these recommendations are economically driven um, that will make their journey a lot worse. The amount of times my patients listen friends telling them, just relax and it's gonna work, what this person just did was tell her, this is your fault. Yeah. And patients walk into my office already crying because of that. So my job is tell them, look, this is a medical condition, should be treated with medicine. I don't cry because I have asthma. It wasn't my fault. It's not your fault that you have infertility either. It's not the glass of wine you had in the weekend. It's not that you had chicken for breakfast. No, has nothing to do with your stress levels either. It just has to do with a medical condition, needs to be treated medically, and that's what we're here for.
1: Um, Claire, would you fall in line with that in the sense that I have heard people say in the past, you know, that maybe after a transfer or, um, you know, when they're in that kind of phase where they're waiting to find out news, That, you know, they've been told at times, look, there's nothing that you, there's not, you can go home and hang out of the chandelier, you can take the bed for the next couple of days, you can do whatever it is you want to do. You're either pregnant or you're not, or you're going to be pregnant or not in the next couple of days. Exactly. Um, And I think that's really important probably for people especially people maybe who have had an IVF cycle that didn't work for them to know
0: that it is a science and it's not an exact science and and sometimes it just doesn't work. Absolutely that is critical you know and that's what we stress to all our patients that if you were getting pregnant naturally you wouldn't know for at least Mm -hmm. another month whereas with IVF you know there's an embryo in there naturally you don't know that so you're still going out at the weekends you're having a good time you're going to work you're you're just carrying on with life as normal you're going to the gym so carry on with life as normal that's what we always say because the worst thing to do for your own mentality not to affect the embryo (laughs) or anything but it's just to (coughs) sit at home for two weeks I mean to sit at home so we always say whatever makes you feel best if if you do feel better sitting at home watching Netflix for two weeks that's fine but most people would feel better just go to work and just kind of you know forget about that wait because it is a long time to wait for Two weeks. So, and as you say, in, in in the normal cycle of things, you wouldn't even
1: know. Like you wouldn't be you waiting. Wouldn't. No, and, you
0: have no idea.
2: Actually, newer studies say that people that rest after transfer have worse results and people that business. carry on. Yes, I tell my patients right after the transfer, you could jog back home without affecting your chances. Yeah, I think think that's really important uh, for people to remember.
1: Okay, Hans Arce, Medical Director, and Clare Moran, Laboratory Manager at ReproMed, thank you both uh, for being with us today. That is all we have time for in this episode of Fertility Matters. You can head over to repromed.ie for more information. You can book an appointment or you can speak to one of the expert team or follow ReproMed Ireland on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram for more information.
0: Fertility Matters. Ireland's newest fertility podcast brought to you by Repromed.